We are starting a new series today, the book of Acts. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts. If you need one, there are Bibles in the pews before you. Um, <clears throat> Acts is fairly close to the end of the Bible if you're looking at the entire book. Uh, you can see here just how close it is. Um, and it's, it's right after the <clears throat> Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. You'll find yourself there. Um, <clears throat> in this, Luke is the author of this. Uh, he's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and so you can see that this is a bit of a, a sequel in that sense. And so as we, we start here, though, in the book of Acts, it's important that you realize that Luke is not writing <clears throat> a religious book. I think since it's in the Bible, it's easy to think of it that way, but he's not writing a religious book. He's writing a, a history. Uh, he's heard from the apostles themselves, and, and he's a personal eyewitness of many of the events in this book. And, and Luke himself here, though, is, is a very educated individual. Uh, we can see that in the quality of, of his Greek linguistically. Uh, he was also a doctor by trade, uh, a doctor by trade and a Christian by the grace of God. So the longer title of this book, if you look in your Bible, you probably see it, The Acts of the Apostles, and it kind of traces the, what we see happening in the lives of the apostles. It could also be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the work we really see happening throughout this book. And it tells the story of, of God establishing the New Testament church, or the church after the, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, one of the neat things about this book is it begins in Jerusalem, uh, and it ends with the gospel being proclaimed in, in the great city of Rome. I uh, see in the book of Acts, we see Jesus' followers really go through this transition. They go from, from being fearful to being bold. Uh, it's absolutely amazing just to see what happens when the presence of the Holy Spirit is in them. Uh, so we're going to jump right into this. Let's get started. Uh, we're going to cover the first 11 verses today. Uh, so it's kind of an introduction in the first 11 verses together. Uh, and we're going to do it in three sections. And we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. We'll read that and then we'll read the other two sections when we get to them. Uh, so follow along as I read Acts 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us this book, for showing us this first sparks of your gospel going out from Jerusalem, uh, for a peek into what sort of simple dedication to you and, and your glory and your rescue mission has, has led us to this place where we are here today, having been redeemed because others in history carried the message that you, God, saved sinners. Give us joy today as we open this book, uh, as we, this book we call the Acts of the Apostles. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke actually begins by giving this, this summary of the Gospel of Luke. That can get confusing. The author and the Gospel uh, share the same name. And he's giving this summary to a man named Theophilus. Uh, that guy's name is, is from two Greek words, Theo meaning God, and, 
uh, and phileo meaning to love. And so together this guy's name means lover of God or one who is loved by God. Uh, some have thought that this is just a general statement to people. We know that's not really the case. We know this is a particular person and really someone of high authority because in the Gospel of Luke, he actually addresses him with this title, Most Excellent. Uh, and that's a title that, that really tells us this is the someone of, of great high authority. Uh, Luke's writing these books really to live out the mission that, that Jesus lays out here in this, in this book, uh, the mission to be a, gospel to the, uh, a witness to the world of, of who Christ is. Uh, there's some details here I don't want you to miss, even from the beginning. You might notice in, in verse 1 here it says uh, that the book of Luke was about all that Jesus began to do. That word began tells us something. Uh, and so one of the things we're going to see here is that in our text today, we're going to watch Jesus actually ascend. Uh, he's going to ascend to heaven. And so if Luke's first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, was about Jesus, what Jesus began to do, then we can know for sure that this book is about what Jesus continues to do, the continuing ministry of Jesus. And, and that means that any ministry that's through Manhattan Press or any other organization really uh, is not ultimately the ministry of Manhattan Press. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ. What we find here is that Jesus is both uh, the source and the purpose for all that we do in that sense. So when we meet together here, when we gather like we are right now, we're doing so uh, to worship, and we're doing this because Jesus is alive. You see, Christianity is unique because we're not just, <clears throat> we're not about a person's teaching first, or rather we are about a person first and his teaching second. Do you get that? A person first, the person of Christ, and his teaching second. Because when people switch that around, or when people really make it only about Jesus' teaching, then they get it terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. And Christianity detached from the person of Jesus becomes something completely other than Christianity. On the one side, it becomes liberalism. On the other side, it becomes fundamentalism. Neither of which are actually Christianity. And so these commands here that we see he references, or Luke references in verse 2, uh, is a reference back to the, to the gospel of Luke. Luke 24, 47, uh, where there Jesus says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to, going to repeat that command here today. See, the, the book begins where the gospels left off. Uh, Jesus has died, and he's risen back to life. And then he walks on the earth for 40 days and he makes appearances to the apostles and many others during that time, continuing to teach and to instruct the apostles during this time. And then in verses 4 and 5, we see that Jesus gives them an order, something to do, a command. He says they are to wait in Jerusalem. See, Jesus has a mission for them. And we're going to see in this next section really what this, uh, see, see that in this next section, but his first order for them is simply to wait. They're to wait for what John the Baptist referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We're going to learn more about what that means in the next few weeks, but uh, we're also going to learn all sorts of things about the Holy Spirit throughout this book of Acts. In fact, this is only the first time of 57 times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this book. We're going to learn a lot about it. What we need to know right here, though, is that the, the overarching ministry of the Holy Spirit is to empower God's people. I think when we hear that, we, we tend to think uh, of the Holy Spirit in the sense of, like, superhero stuff. 
And there's good reason, you know, in Acts right here where we see it, we're going to see some superhero stuff. We're going to see people brought back to life. We're going to see jails miraculously unlocked, incredible healings. We're going to see demon-possessed men and women set free. But I don't want you to lose sight in the midst of all that, that the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit provides for us today. See, we tend to think of things like, why can't I speak in tongues? Why can't I heal people? I mean, I saw that in Acts, right? And meanwhile, we're still afraid to talk to our friends uh, about the fact that Jesus is real, that he died on the cross, that, uh, that he offers forgiveness of sin, and that he was brought back to life and now lives. See, we don't even need to speak in tongues to do that. So the power of the Holy Spirit is about giving us strength to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ here, where you are, or wherever you go. Don't take that for granted. In verse 6, then, we, we see how the apostles are, are still thinking about the temporal. Uh, look at verse 6 with me. It says, So when, he, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Boy, they get it so wrong right there. Uh, John Calvin has an interesting statement. Uh, speaking of verse 6 there, he says, There are as many errors in this question as there are words. That's not a real good review of your, your question. Um, see, these apostles just saw Jesus die, a guy they've been hanging out with, and they see him come back to life. Uh, they're with a man who's proven himself basically indestructible as far as they're concerned. And they believe he can do amazing things. They think he can do just about anything in the world. Their question isn't whether Jesus can do one of these amazing things. Uh, it's what's he going to do? And what is it that they expect his plan to be? They're expecting him to take Israel and make it a powerful nation. They want Jesus to rule like King David did. Kind of this, this mentality of, you know, let's subdue these Romans. Let's take over. When are we going to do it? Is now, is now the time? They want a nation that's really smaller than the state of Kansas. And that's not real big. See, they didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom is spiritual and global and eternal. That's what they're missing. In verse 7, we see Jesus' answer to them. He doesn't make fun of them. He's kinder than Calvin was to them, for sure. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, basically he's saying, it's none of your business when God's going to do what God's going to do, but there is something you need to know. And verse 8 is that something that they need to know. Follow along. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Basically, don't focus on when I return. Focus on your mission. And he gives them that mission. See, this verse 8 is key to Acts. If we're going to understand Acts, you've got to understand this verse 8. This is, this is really everything else is a fleshed out uh, seeing what happens in this verse 8. Uh, in fact, verse 8 is the very reason these guys are called apostles at all. A, a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. They are disciples. Uh, you are disciples if your faith is in Christ. You are a follower of Christ, a disciple. Uh, an apostle, on the other hand, is someone who has been sent out as a messenger, an official messenger. So an apostle, you know, the word apostle literally means he that is sent, sent out. And, and so these, this is what he's sending them out this. So, you know, what is this message then that Jesus is going to give these apostles and send them out with? The first thing he says is just wait in Jerusalem. What a 
boring, boring command to get, right? We just are watching some amazing things, and our job is to go wait in Jerusalem. And then he says, afterwards, the Holy, after the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, uh, you're going to be my witnesses. And he lays this out for them. It's going to be in Jerusalem first. That's the town that they're in. They're actually in Jerusalem. It's just there. And then he says, you're going to go to Judea and Samaria. And Judea was an area just a, a little ways outside of town. Samaria is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And, and, and then they're, they're to keep going. They're not to stop there. They're to keep going until they get to the end of the earth, proclaiming this message, being witnesses. And, and, and so Jesus tells them the, what the plan is. And, and honestly, we see, see them do something very strange, something that, that might just seem absolutely bizarre to our modern minds. You see, they listen to Jesus' call on their lives to be witnesses in an expanding geographic region. And the really surprising part of this whole thing is that they respond by obedience to God. That shouldn't surprise us, but I think it, it does. It's like they hear this command, and it's, so wait here, and once the Holy Spirit comes, we go share the gospel. Okay. That shouldn't surprise us, but really, that's the most surprising thing here. I, I can't help but feel that, that most of the church today, most of the church in the world today, would hear Jesus give this call to Jerusalem, to uh, Judea, to Samaria, and respond, Samaria? Really? I mean, I hear you on Judea, but can we talk about Samaria? You know, those people are obnoxious. They're not going to listen anyway. I mean, besides, wouldn't Caesarea be a better place? They've got ships. We can export this message immediately. Let's make a big impact, God. You know, it's this idea of not just listening and responding to what God says, but let's talk about this. The apostles don't do that, and it's beautiful. You know, they're still confused. They don't know everything Jesus is talking about, but they listen to him. They hear his words, and they do wait. And the Holy Spirit does come just like he said it would. And the rest of this book, chapters 1 through 7 of Acts, uh, they're all set in Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel. They're being witnesses. Good things happen. Bad things happen. Uh, but the, the gospel message goes out and people are saved. And then in, in chapter 8, we, we see uh, things change because persecution comes. And when persecution enters, enters into the picture, the, scatter, the, the church just scatters and goes places that the church needs to go. And where do you think they end up? Samaria, Judea. That's where they go. And then in chapter 13, these missionary journeys begin, and, and, and the book ends with Paul in Rome. He's in the center of, of the world at that period of time, and, and the last verse of this book says this. It says, he, that's Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, the gospel makes it to Rome at the end, by the end of Acts. That's not the end of the world, though. It's a great start, but it's not the end of the world. See, the, the plan, what we see here, is that the plan has been incredibly successful, even in this very short period of time, but it's not over yet. See, the gospel must be preached to every nation, every people group, and so the plan goes on. Christian, you are a recipient of the gospel message of forgiveness through Christ. It went out from Jerusalem, just like you're seeing in this book, and over many miles and over many years, it came to you. That is amazing. You think of all the links of people as this message goes out, and each of you have heard it because that link continued until it reached you. 
And so when God gave you faith, he also filled you with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see more of what that means later. But uh, what this means, though, on a basic level, is that you are equipped now to be a participant in this mission. To be witnesses. So you might speak to your, your neighbor next door, and, and we tend to think of that. That's like Jerusalem in this, right? No. That's the ends of the earth. You're a witness to the ends of the earth when we're talking about the master plan that's set out here. And so being a, a messenger of God's plan of redemption is what led, you know, William Carey, maybe you've heard of him, a missionary, uh, but it led him to leave England and, and, and his life. He was a cobbler. He was in his 30s, and, and he leaves England, and he heads to India because they need to hear the gospel. And, and um, if you know much about that, some people say, well, yeah, you know what? It didn't work. 80% of India is still Hindu. That's only 2.3% of India who would profess faith in Christ today. Only 2.3%. But that percentage actually equates to 24 million men, women, and children who apart from hearing the gospel from people like William Carey and others would not have their sins forgiven today. See, William Carey went into a culture that had never heard the gospel. But he didn't preach it to 24 million people. He didn't. He preached it to those around him. And a few people came to faith and the church was established and these people became witnesses to their generation and to the next generation and people around them. What an amazing thing. So it was one person who had, who had come to believe sharing with another. Simply sharing the hope that they have in Christ. It's not a complex plan. I think in our culture today we like things big. Even in the church, we like things big. I hear from guys all the time who are excited because they are launching a church. I hear this, all, this phrase all the time, and I just think, what, are you building a rocket? What do you mean you're launching a church? You shouldn't launch a church. See, we're going to see in this book that there are a few times where God brings about great masses of people to believe the gospel to faith at the very same moment. But, but more often than that, he works in smaller settings with one person speaking to another person about the, the hope that they have. See, a better term than launching is, is planting, planting a church. And I don't say that just because we use it. We use it because it's a better term. Uh, you can imagine a young tree. It comes from a previous tree which was healthy enough to actually produce fruit which have seeds in them for future trees. It's planted in a permanent place and it grows slowly year after year. See, this call to be a witness for Christ to the ends of the earth is, is the last statement that Jesus makes to this group of apostles. This is a big deal. Verses 9 to 11 really here finish the text. They finish what he's talking about here. Listen as he says this. 9 through 11 he says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went. As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. You know, I think we are so grounded in the natural um, and really opposed to the supernatural that a moment like this when we read in Scripture is just difficult to imagine. It's difficult to get our heads around. Um, Jesus, a real person, walks the earth that they interact with, they eat food with. 
They go to a wedding with. There's always real-world interaction, just like any other person you can imagine. And here he is, after having watched him die and come back to life, and he's rising up into a cloud. He disappears. How do you get your head around that? You can imagine that's why they're just standing there, staring up into the sky. Um, You know, it says they continue to gaze out into the sky. You know, I, I think we'd all do the very same thing. You know, that's what just happened. You know, that's crazy. We don't know how long they gaze, but they gaze long enough that, that the angels, these two men, stop them. And they let the apostles know that Jesus will be back in the same way they just watched him go. A cloud. So the call that Jesus gives them just before leaving is to be a witness, and that's our call now. You see, the, the term witness in, in Latin is martis. I don't know if my Latin's right, but it's spelled like that. You recognize the word martis? It's where we get the word martyr from. Initially, it meant those who bore witness, those who shared or what they can attest to to be true. Uh, eventually, it came to mean someone who died for sharing their faith because that's how it worked out for a lot of people who did indeed share their faith. Uh, it's a simple calling. It's a witness, uh, to witness is to tell what you've experienced. For the apostles, that's uh, what they have seen with their own eyes in Christ. For us, it's, it's how Jesus saved us. It's how faith has changed us. You know, this does simplify things for us. See, so the mission of the church, and this is important, the mission of the church is not to right every wrong in the world. Those things are good. It's right to be involved. There's a place for the church to get involved in that, but that's not the primary mission of the church. The primary mission of the church is to be a, a witness to the message of Jesus Christ, to the gospel. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 sums this up well. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What that means is we're not to go out and be Jesus for people. It's a phrase you hear often, but we're not to be Jesus for people. You can't do that, so don't try what you have been called to do is to go out and to bear witness about Jesus. And the usual way, usual way we do this is through the relationships that God has given us. And really, that can be a very intimidating thing. Um, it's important that you understand this. You do not need to present the gospel in some amazing, polished way uh, to do so. It's okay if you do. Great if you do. But it's not necessary. You see, uh, the questions that we really need to be thinking of, or the question we need to be thinking through is, is what has Jesus done for you? Let me break that down a little. What, what have you believed about Jesus? What difference has Jesus made in your life? What joys do you have because of Jesus? What peace, what hope do you have because of Christ? How has forgiveness impacted your life? And, and how can someone else have that same forgiveness? When I ask these, the question is, can you answer that question? Do you know the hope that you have? I'm not saying everything theological. You don't have to be able to answer every question. But can you answer the question, the hope that you have? And we're going to see throughout this book of Acts that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be a witness in the face of fears. I think that is something we have taken for granted and don't understand enough. And we're going to get into that. See, at points in church history, uh, the fear was being killed for being a Christian. For many Christians across the world today, you can just turn on the news to see this, it is still the fear of being killed for being a Christian. For us, in our culture, it's very different. 
It's a fear of looking like a fool. It's the fear of how is this going to affect my job? How is this going to affect my friendships? Or even this fear of can I even live up to what their expectations of what a Christian should be? It makes us afraid to speak up about who our Savior is. They, and these are real fears. And, and really, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome them. And so what's the message? What is this message that we are so afraid of sharing and yet we cling to as our only hope for salvation? You know, it's very simple. That Jesus is God in human flesh. That he died on the cross for our sin. That he was raised to death back to life, or from death back to life, that he is alive today and sitting at the right hand of the Father in the place of honor. And he calls you to believe in him. He calls you to put your faith in him. Repenting of our sins so that we receive forgiveness. And God gives both the faith and the repentance. It's not normal stuff. I get it. It's easy to stand here and pretend like it's totally normal stuff, but it's not. Um... That's why we're afraid to share this good news. So we're all reasonable enough to have some sense, to, to know that apart from God granting faith to the person we speak to, that when we share what we believe in, that it sounds more like crazy news than anything else. You don't have to apologize for that. I mean, that's part of being reasonable. What you need to know is that it is good news. And we've seen throughout history that both the ignorant and men and women of great intelligence have possessed that God-given faith to believe that Jesus is their Savior. We see it all over the place. So let me close here. I'll try to give you a picture for where we're going. You see, my, my hope as we work through this book of Acts is, is that we're going to see uh, the power of the God that we worship. Not just see it in words and way back then, but that we see it and understand the way that God works today. And that we see his plan to redeem a people for himself, and, and that we see that it, how it succeeded in the first century, despite all sorts of persecution and struggles and other things that challenged it. And that God continues today to bring people to faith. And he does so as his church, his people carry out the same simple plan of, of being a witness to his gospel. That's it. I mean, before we close, I'll, I'll say this. I think anytime you talk about witnessing, there's a weight that comes on us that thinks, I am so terrible, I don't do this enough. That's absolutely true. But I'm not saying that so you feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. I'm saying this because there is a message that we have to share. I'm not asking you to go out there and just share it just so you can get this off your chest and you know what, I did my part, I'm done. I'm saying it because you're the recipient of this. Someone got out of their comfort zone somewhere and shared the gospel. Maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a complete stranger, but someone did that. Think about the joy that you have because of that. I don't want you to feel guilty. Do not feel guilty. You're going to come to this table in a minute and partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, not because you've earned it, not because you've shared the gospel with enough people, but because Christ has died to you because of this message here. Uh, let's pray. Father, give us a renewed sense of what it means to have been saved from our sin. Even as we struggle against temptation, as we struggle against selfishness, and, and really so many other sins that plague us, we ask that we would find joy in belonging to you. 
That we'd find comfort in knowing that when you left the disciples gazing into the heavens, that you did not abandon them. But you provided them with a helper, with the third person of the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit. God, remind us that if, if you have granted us faith to believe, you have also filled us with your Holy Spirit to speak with boldness the truth that there is salvation in Christ alone. Take away our fear and replace it with joy. Lord, grant that we might get to see you change rebel hearts into new faith. Oh, God, we love to see that. Oh, give us that in our lives, that we can see you work in the lives of others. Uh, that our witness would not uh, come from guilt, but in joy as those who have been set free from sin ourselves. Oh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.